Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of High Character. We got a little something different coming for you guys here. It's our midweek episode. We're getting hyped for the national tournament coming up this Friday, but uh, we thought we'd we'd come at you guys with a little UMass hockey playoff history. Um, it's not it's not too deep, obviously, with um, uh, UMass's recent success being kind of their only success in program history, but uh, we're going to dive in and give a little history of what UMass has done in the national tournament leading up to this weekend. My name is Cameron. I'm joined by my good buddy, Evan. Evan, how you doing, man? Doing well. Ready to discuss the pretty brief, you know, all things considered, but definitely we're, we're on the rise. So we can definitely talk about the past of uh, our national championship history as a program, but I'm hoping that we can kind of revisit this type of episode in a couple of years and it's going to be a lot longer, which would be pretty cool. But um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll just kind of start and do a little run through of UMass hockey's history as a whole leading up to it. So uh, UMass wasn't always a D1 school. They were D2 for a while. Um, Still, uh, they weren't too great of a program. They won one championship for the ECAC two division in 1972. Uh, obviously I don't got much for that on that for you guys. Um, but then the program kind of went dormant from 79 to 93. They just didn't have a hockey program really. Um, and then it was brought back with the creation of the Mullen center in 1993. So they, um, they started it back up and it's, <laughs> Between, between then and the Carvel era, it was not good. They uh, only had three winning seasons as a whole completely before Carvel in, in 2003, in 2004, and 2007. Those were their winning seasons. And uh, in 03, they lost the Hockey East semifinal. 04, they lost in the Hockey East championship uh, in three overtimes to Maine. So that game oh, must have been God. absolutely nutty. That's brutal. And yeah, that, that hockey East championship was the only one they played in until 2021. And in 2007, they lost the hockey East semifinal, but they got the, uh, the automatic, the um, bid to the tournament just off of their record. Uh, They went in as a four seed to that tournament and they played in the Rochester, New York regional. So uh, their first ever tournament game in 07 imagine a lot of diehards didn't care about that huge trip out to Rochester. They just love that UMass was finally an attorney. And uh, this was the Jonathan quick era. So pretty cool time to be a fan. I imagine back then. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, when you have a really solid goaltender kind of just backstopping your whole team, like anything can happen. Like Jonathan quick, you know, at least in the NHL has been the type of dude that can just absolutely steal games. Like, I'm pretty sure he did that for the Kings in, this is going to suck trying to remember this, maybe 2010. Uh, definitely wasn't 2011 because that was the Bruins. But, mm-hmm. or no, 2012, 2013, somewhere in the early, early 10s of yeah. that time period. He basically, I think the Kings were an eight seed and like just, he absolutely stole almost every game for them and they managed mm-hmm. to go on like a Cinderella Cup run. And I, I guess that type of pedigree kind of started here. Like, you know, you win one nothing over Clarkson, like who was, I'm pretty sure a one seed in that regional, like that's nutty. You know what I mean? Like that's unbelievable. So it's definitely, uh, you could certainly call that the Jonathan Quick show. He is one of the better goaltenders in our history, borderline the best, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can definitely make the argument there. 
but we definitely have had a lot of really solid goaltenders in, uh, you know, obviously recency bias, you know, kind of mm-hmm. playing a major part in that. But yeah, this was definitely the Jonathan Quick show, no doubt at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So like Evan said, their first ever tournament game in 07, they won one nothing against Clarkson in overtime. So Jonathan Quick really stole the show there. Um, the, the winner in OT was from Kevin Jarman uh, about seven minutes in. So wild game there for the first ever um, tournament game for UMass as a four seed coming in. So pretty impressive win. And they moved on to play Maine in the regional final with a chance to go to the Frozen Four, which I believe would have been in St. Louis that year. Um, and they did not get to get the job done. They ran into the, the buzzsaw that was Maine back, back in the day. Maine looks like they won a lot back then, but yeah, yeah. they, they lost three, nothing in this, uh, regional final, I guess quick couldn't, couldn't do it all for them back then. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like I'm, I'm looking at just kind of the overall bracket of that entire tournament. And it looks like in the, in the Rochester regional, both games were upsets. Like Mass, like UMass beat Clarkson in an upset game, and then Maine ended up beating St. Cloud State at that time. So I mean, a lot, a lot of pedigree there. It seems like you know, there's just a lot of really solid programs. But it's kind of funny how both of the teams that made it through were both hockey East schools, and they both were underdogs in their respective games. Like that's mm-hmm. that's something really, really cool to notice there. But um, yeah, Maine definitely around that time, like the '90s and the early 2000s, they were a really solid program. So kind of stinks that we obviously couldn't get through and make it to St. Louis at that time. But um, that's just, you know, Maine's going <laughs> to do that to you. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely a little bit different nowadays, you know, at least just in recent memory. But uh, back in the day, Maine was pretty formidable. Yeah, and um, it seems like UMass fans might have been having a lot of excitement and anticipation for this one. They uh, apparently had taken four straight from Maine earlier in the month of March. Uh, so they were on a four-game heater against Maine, and uh, it seems like Maine got their revenge there. The one goal that UMass scored was from Matt Anderson, and that was to, to bring the game within one, but they never did come back, lost three to one. And uh, I'm imagining a lot of UMass fans didn't expect to just go dormant until 2019 in terms of making the, the tournament. That seemed like a good, a good moment in, in program history, but they just like – really we're not we're not a great program between then and 2019 yeah it kind of seems like like what would have happened with them was probably what people expected like for us to do after Kale McCarr left like it kind of mm. seems like there was a lot of you know I guess comparability between the two like elite NHL caliber player like just absolutely carrying the team just being dirt nasty the whole time and it seemed like obviously after quick left we couldn't really seem to reclaim that sort of magic but obviously, again, you know, to draw comparisons to now, like it's a completely different ball game. Like, yeah, Kale left and we still were able to just keep getting insane recruit after insane recruit. It just seemed like something is clicking now, like in recruits eyes more like it could just be, you know, more approachable coaches that are just being able to recruit better. Like, you know, again, this is definitely much you know, before our time. So mm-hmm. I guess, I guess a little bit of the historical context is kind of lost in the eyes of two UMass 2020 grads, but um, yeah, it's certainly a case of just having a really superstar player, just kind of do superstar things. And then you just aren't able to just 
get that same sort of performance out of the next year's recruiting class. Like we've been blessed enough recently to just have really good recruiting classes on top of each other consecutively. And it's a tough thing to achieve, you know, like it's really hard to just consistently get really solid recruiting classes. And clearly back in 06, 07, we just weren't able to get that next step. Yeah. And then you're, like you said, we not us not having too much experience with, with these older teams. We, uh, we're really going to start to to know what we're talking about going into the the 2016 and beyond. So 2016 was Coach Carvel's first year with UMass. It was also our freshman year. So uh, came in at the same time as Carvey, and that's when we started following the program. And UMass went 5-29-2 in that year, which is just really, really tough. I don't know what got us to stick around and keep watching these games, but I'm so happy we did because it's definitely paid off for us uh, more than we could ever imagine. Uh, after that 2016-2017 year, UMass got better, 2017-2018, uh, um, won a couple games in the Hockey East playoffs, and then 2019, which uh, still continues to be the uh, best overall season in UMass history, all things considered. They, they got 31 wins, I believe, which is absolutely nuts, and uh, we all kind of know the deal with that. Um, Kale McCarr pretty sure you guys know who that is um mario ferraro like that team was stacked and definitely had um a great run in the um in the tournament yeah um just to kind of give some some of the people a little bit of perspective like if you're a newer fan you know maybe you haven't been following the team for that long this this recruiting class for the team that we're talking about right now are now seniors so like we're kind of just starting to get into like the first like major recruitment like period that kind of really brought us some crazy success. And now we're starting to see like all of those players hit their peaks right about now in their senior year. So like, it's definitely all culminating, you know, into, you know, just a lot of success in a sustained period. Um, Just looking at this team's roster, like you have guys like Bobby Trevino who are just absolutely killing it right now. He was a freshman that season. Like mm. it's, it's insane to see them kind of grow up and just kind of, you know, get better and better over the course of the years. Like looking at some other names, like Oliver Chow, you know, like we were absolutely loving him, you know, last year and everything. And obviously he transferred now, but you know, same thing with Laganoff. Like we were chanting his name, Laganoff, Laganoff, like on his, yeah. you know, senior day in Vermont. Like there were just so many great players that are on the team right now. Like Anthony Del Gaizo making crazy contributions. But during this first initial national championship run, they were just little freshman players, you know, you know, sparkly eyed, you know, they have the whole world ahead of them. And now they're sitting here trying to repeat a national title. Like it's unbelievable to see. Yeah. Uh, this was the first team that um, at least in my memory that the UMass campus and fan base just fell in love with like the, mm -hmm. the fans rallied around this team. It was the first time we had ever seen, Mullen Center selling out for hockey games. They they reached the number one um, spot in the national rankings for the first time in program history, which was uh, a really fun week to be a part of. And they eventually won the Hockey East regular season championship, which was which was really cool. Yeah, no, this team was absolutely special. Like, there's just no way to, you know, get around that. Like, we were there for, I think, that last game where we ended up winning the regular season championship. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just amazing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure it was a Merrimack, like yeah. just 
an absolute treat. You know what I mean? Like you could just see, like, you always talk about like getting what you deserve. Like that's Carvey's big thing. And like that team deserved it. You know what I mean? Like they were just such a talented team. And the worst part is, is that they were still so young. Like I'm pretty sure the majority of our players were sophomores. Cause like, you know, we had basically freshmen and sophomores because that was Carvel's third year. And he basically his very first year was just like, all right, I'm going to play with the guys that I got right now because I didn't have a whole lot of time to recruit. But the the previous two like recruiting classes like the one from that year and the year previous like that was kind of like the foundation of the whole program and just they achieved so much in such a little amount of time like it's mm-hmm. it was so awesome just to see them getting rewarded for all their hard work because you know they're still getting rewarded now like if you know if the players hadn't moved on you know like Ferraro, Makar, Leonard those guys didn't move on to the NHL. They could still be playing right now. Like, you know, I think they would have to take their extra year of eligibility, at least a couple of them, but like, it's the, just the recruiting class as a whole, you know what I mean? Like this was kind of where it all started and it's definitely just kind of kickstarted the program. Yeah. They were absolutely stacked at that point. And that's kind of how it's been ever since that point. hundred percent. So uh, as they moved into the postseason. uh they made it all the way to the Hockey East semifinal at the Garden, and they ended up losing 3 nothing to BC. Kind of a deer in headlights, maybe. Lights are a little too bright moment. It was a lot of these guys, the whole team's first experience, really, with that big stage, um, playing in the NHL arena, that kind of thing. Um, but they did still get a one seed in the national tournament. The regional was in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, we drove up for both of those. It was pretty pretty fun time. First game was a four nothing win over the four seed Harvard. Um, I don't remember this game feeling stressful at all. No, at any not point. at all. It was um, pretty much UMass dominated from the beginning. They didn't score until the second, uh, but once they did, you kind of knew it was like, okay, this is UMass's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Delgaizo, freshman at the time, scored. John Leonard had a goal, and then Brett Boeing had a couple make it uh, to make it four. I remember uh, an insane kale pass to Boeing for yep. that goal. In that, game. that that was going to be the moment I was going to describe, yeah. like just the vision by Kale McCarr and Brett Boeing. One one of, in my opinion, one of like my favorite like underrated players. Like he was, he's one of those guys. Like kind of reminds me of like Lautenbach this year. Like just really speedy guy, really tenacious. Just always gives a ton of effort. Um, and yeah, his speed was on full display here. Like he basically just decided to, I wouldn't say cherry pick, like cherry pick kind of has a negative connotation. Like he was still trying the whole time, like getting back on defense. He's not a, you know, selfish player by any means, but he saw an opening split the two D men went straight for the net. Amazing pass by Kale in for a breakaway. And I think he tucked it glove side. I want to say like just off of just a nice snapshot. It was a treat to watch like it was a beautiful goal like we were sitting like basically right behind the harvard net as it happened and we had it in full view i kind of wish one of us got a video of it because yeah it like that would have been just a hell of a video to watch back but yeah no brett Boeing, amazing amazing finish there off of a you know just delicious kale mccarr pass <laughs> like he's just that's just the thing that he does you know what i mean like oh, yeah that was 
it, it kind of reminds me of like Ufko's vision, like this year, like I'm trying to make as many comparisons as humanly possible for those that weren't able to see the games back then. Yeah. But like still want to kind of connect it a little bit now. Like it's basically, if you were to have Bobby springing through for a breakaway off of an Ufko pass, that's essentially what you'd be getting there. And yeah, lovely goal. Absolutely. I, I remember another moment from that game too. Uh, Kale came in on the back check on a breakaway and stick lifted oh. the guy to, to save a, a breakaway chance, which was just, that guy was insane. He made up a solid 30 feet on that play. Like yep. he, he basically was, was coming with no momentum at all. I think the other defenseman got stripped of the puck and you just see Kale McCarr like top end speed for days. Like he yeah. was just hustling. He looked like McDavid, bro. Like it was just, he had that type of speed. Like it was at that moment, I remember watching the game and I just go, yeah, this is the last year he's done. <laughs> like, this is it. He's done. Like, yeah. it, he just felt like a cheat code on the ice. You know what I mean? Like, you you were to create a player in NHL 22 and you just put the sliders all the way up to 100 for every single ability. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how he played. Yeah, and more more Kale Magic for the regional final. Um, UMass versus Notre Dame. Um, another familiar score. They won this one also for nothing. And uh, this one also seemed to be UMass's all the way. Again, they didn't score in the first period, uh, but when they got on the board in the second, it just seemed like it was um, it was over from there. Friend of the pod, Jake Gaudet, scored the, the first goal in the power play to break the tie. Another goal from John Leonard. Um, and then also in the second, uh, a one-time goal from Kale McCarr. That is my my favorite goal that Kale has ever scored uh, as a minute man. That, the place erupted. It was... 95% UMass fans. That was just yeah. an awesome, an awesome experience there. Yeah. Real quick before talking about the Kale goal, I, I, I wanted to ask you because I don't remember it fully. That got at goal. Was that the one that like, I think it was a dump in by Chow and it like went off the referee and it like squirted towards like the high slot basically. And he just tucked it away. Like, was that a ref that got the, the assist on that? You got it right. But uh, Ferraro put it off the lines. It was Ferraro. It okay. Godet. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. I, I knew definitely there was a little bit of linesman shenanigans there that led yep. to that, but it definitely wasn't a case where it, it was an undeserved goal. Like we were dominating them. I'm pretty sure that whole yeah. period anyway, but um, yeah, the Kale goal just, in my opinion, I think it was one of, one of his more iconic goals. Like if there was like a Mount Rushmore of, of Kale goals, like this is on there. Definitely. It's top like, three for sure. Easily. Like yeah. it's, it's basically, I don't think it's going above the Vermont goal in the playoffs where he just took it end to end and scored it himself. But this was definitely, I think my second favorite goal by him yeah. where win it off the face off. I think it was, was it Del Gaizo that passed it over to him? I'm going, I'm trying to go off memory here. Yeah. Mark Del Gaizo. It was Del Gaizo that, that t- sent it over to him. Yeah. His, his lineman or his teammate at the time on his defensive line. And um, just an absolute clap bomb. I'm going to, I don't know if I should say it. I've been saying it for Ryan Ufko at almost every point this season, but it was an absolute <laughs> piss missile. Like he just, I think you could say that about Kale. I think, yeah, I that the slap shot was he got everything behind it, he got the entire weight of the stick behind it. It was, I think, going short side, I think it was blocker side on the goalie, and the goalie couldn't really see it all that well. But I don't think it would have mattered just by the sheer power behind it. It it was a complete laser, but the Selly afterwards, I think, is kind of what sells it for me. Like, gets up on one skate and just kind of like. Well, like he kind of goes skiing a little bit. Like he yeah. kind of does this little like Naruto run thing, like with his arms <laughs> behind him, like super weird, but um, yeah, lovely Sally. I thought it was one of my favorite Kale moments for sure. Yeah. Same here. And then uh, near the end of the third, Oliver Chow scored the fourth goal, make it four, nothing. 
Uh, the game was over at that point. UMass booked their first ever trip to the Frozen Four. Uh, we and all the other UMass fans were singing and dancing out of the arena in Manchester. That was just a, an unbelievable time knowing that we were going to the first ever Frozen Four. Uh, fast forward two weeks, um, UMass versus Denver in the Frozen Four in Buffalo, New York. We made the trip down, as did so many other UMass fans. Uh, Buffalo, not a crazy cool destination for us, but we still we yeah. still spent our time there nonetheless. Yeah, it kind of seemed like the general vibe of that city was all you can really do there is drink, and that kind of was shown <laughs> by all the bars that were around the arena. Like, I could I can totally understand if there was other things to do. It was basically it, everything revolved around liquid. Like there was Niagara Falls, which is a massive waterfall of liquid. There's bars for days where you can piss away your sorrows because you're sad that you're in Buffalo, New York. And like, all right, mainly that was it, but you get the joke. Like it was, it was not a very great place to be in. I mean, the Airbnb we were at was pretty neat. Like that was cool. Like obviously we didn't do a vlog of it or nothing, you know, hindsight being 2020, but um, yeah, no, the games there were top quality. Like that's, that's kind of the, you know, I love, I basically hated everything about Buffalo, New York, besides the key bank arena because of everything that went on there. <laughs> like yeah. that's, what's going to hold the special place in my heart. There's just all the stuff that went on inside the arena. Yeah. So this game in particular was the, the big one. Yeah. Um, Denver scored first in the first period to make it one, nothing. And we were uh, very scared at that moment. But then Denver started to get really dumb with penalties. I think UMass had a five on three at one point. Yep. Um, Bobby scored one, uh, which we love to see. Freshman Bobby. Uh, Mitchell Chafee and John Leonard also put them in in that power play. And all of a sudden, within three-minute span, UMass had a 3-1 lead in the first. Yeah, if I, if I want to go off the top of my head here, I'm pretty sure it's a major penalty that did it. Yep. I don't remember exactly what it was. might have been an elbowing call. Like it was some sort of head contact, I think. But, um, yeah, we were definitely able to pour it on. Like, I don't want to say that it was like an undeserved win. You know, like, obviously I'm not saying that, but like that first period, like we had a very, very good three minutes of like power play time that we capitalized in, you know, a couple quick scores. But after that, man, it scared me. Like Denver was clawing back for, for, you know, the, basically the rest of the game, like they, were just all over us for the most part and that had me on the edge of my seat like I was feeling like I was gonna faint like it kind of gave me shades of the hockey's playoff game that we did or the hockey's final that we were just a part of like I'm just sitting on my seat the whole time I'm like please guys please guys just pull it out like come on and yeah that game was super scary for me yeah um speaking of penalties there were a whole lot in this game uh, Nico Hildenbrand and Mitchell Chafee both got ejected from the game with contact to the head game misconducts um and UMass <laughs> almost gave it away in the third uh it was 3-1 going into the third and they gave up two goals uh the second of which came with only three three and change left in the clock to make it three to three and UMass was you just felt that they were just surviving until overtime uh and they, they were able to make it to overtime and just the most stressful 15 minutes of our lives up until that point easily up, in, up until the goal heard around the world the the watch out so to speak um oliver chow found mark del Geizo for the one timer at the point and just mayhem after that yeah no it's still 
the the craziest goal I've seen in person. Mm-hmm. Like just no no ifs ands or buts about it. Like you lost your shoe on the celly. Like I literally felt like I was gonna pass out. Like there were like literal tears coming down my face. Like I was just completely destroyed like physically and emotionally like mm-hmm. i was sitting there we were with our good friend ryan peterson at the time and he was looking to me like he was a big hockey guy like he played in high school and he like had this weird hockey intuition like whenever i'd watch a game with him like he would just kind of know things like we would be watching games at the mall and center he would text me like this is definitely going to happen in the next couple minutes and he had like this nostradamus effect like it was crazy mm-hmm. and uh i remember him saying to me a couple minutes before the goal was scored he's like i'm feeling it like, he's like, I'm feeling you, Matt. Like, he wasn't trying to be a homer. Like, you could just kind of tell he was being dead serious. Like, he just knew. He was like, dude, calm down. We got this. Like, yeah. this is this is what it's all about. Like, the boys are ready. And I was like, dude, like, I believed, but I was stressed. Like, my, yeah. my vision was clouded. And, yeah, like, just, we, I think we described it before when we were on the Jake Godet interview, but Godet just kind of whipped it towards Chow's feet. <laughs> Chow corralled the puck and sent it up to the you know it was basically a high slot because Mark Delgado was kind of cheating up and clapped at home like unbelievable goal and just complete and utter pandemonium after like there's no other way to describe it it was at least 75 percent UMass fans in that building in the place I don't think I've ever heard a louder arena at that point like everybody was just going ballistic yeah they were going ballistics that was a, an amazing night um, and an amazing day after that, um, we got to see Kale McCarr win the Hobie Baker trophy. They did the presentation in Buffalo. Uh, the whole team was there to sign autographs. So uh, UMass does make it to the, to the Frozen Four this year. Be on the lookout for that, that day in between. If they win, they win the semifinal game. That's always a, a really cool time. And then uh, all of a sudden, UMass is in their first ever national championship after seasons and seasons of mediocrity. Um, they're finally there. They get to play Minnesota Duluth, who was insane that season as well. And uh, there's not really much to dive dive too deep into this game with. UMass was just outplayed from the from the start to finish. They lost three nothing in this one. Um, tough tough situation. It it wasn't as heartbreaking because you kind of could get the sense that Duluth really just deserved that that national championship. Yeah, it, to me, it was just a sense of just we were inexperienced. Like, it was really tough just to kind of have the guys not really be in this sort of situation before with these kind of stakes. But, yeah, you could just kind of tell, like, there was only a couple of seniors on the team at this point. Like, I think it was guys like Brett Boeing, Kurt Keats. Not sure if we had any seniors on the blue line at that point, but most of our really big impact players at this point were either freshmen or sophomores. So, like, just – you know, from just a physical maturity standpoint, like obviously we, you know, we're just a younger team in that aspect and like just kind of having that sort of program, like prestige and just experience on the big stage, like Duluth just kind of had that in droves. So, I mean, they kind of, I'm pretty sure they took a fairly early lead and you're kind of just sitting there like, all right, this, I, it seems like, you know, we were just kind of getting suffocated the whole time. Like we couldn't generate any sort of offense at all. So it wasn't the worst feeling in the world. You know what I mean? Like I definitely was still really emotional after the game thinking like, damn, like we could have won the whole thing, but it kind of seemed like the type of game where just Duluth deserved it more. You know what I mean? Like they were just the better team simply. So you can't be too mad about it. Yeah. And another uh, thing that kind of 
thwarted UMass's chance at it. Bobby was suspended for that game. He had uh, he had a, a hit which should have been a game misconduct the game before. They they looked at it again the, the next day and said, uh, man, Bobby's got to be suspended for that one. So uh, that was a big blow to the offense too, for sure. But uh, it wouldn't be long until UMass got their chance again. Um, in 2020, um, UMass had a great season. They ended up finishing the season ranked ninth in the country. Probably would have been a two to three seed, but uh, then the world kind of stopped. The tourney, Hockey East playoffs were both canceled due to COVID. And uh, everybody we've talked to really thinks this team had a good shot at, at making a run that year too, which really sucks. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm pretty sure we had the leaning goal scorer in the nation at that time, um, John Leonard. He was just on an absolute tear. He was essentially averaging a goal a game. Like, that's absolutely nuts. You know what I mean? Like, just his ability to take over games. And he just had a lethal shot. But um, our team as a whole was just really well-rounded that season, it seemed like. You know, like, obviously, John Leonard was insane. But we had a lot of really solid depth throughout the whole team. I think the team was just kind of firing at all cylinders. And we got hot really late in the season. Like, I think we were riding a pretty solid win streak. And again, with, you know, Leonard's contributions towards the end of the season, he was making a name for himself as a potential Hobie Baker, like hat trick guy. Like mm-hmm. he could have been a top three finalist. So that team was super good. I mean, I remember we were really looking forward to that first playoff series. Um, I think at the time we were expected to play either Providence or Northeastern. I, I think, think it was depended. Northeastern officially. Yeah. I think it ended up being Northeastern, yeah. but um, yeah, we were looking forward to that game so much. And I think it was like, the Wednesday, I think the game was supposed to be played on a Friday. And I think it was on that Wednesday, we were studying for an exam. Like, I think we had an exam on that Wednesday and we just started getting email after email all within like a 30 minute span of just hockey East playoffs done. So like, or no, first it was, I think hockey East playoffs to be played without fans. And we were like, no. Yeah. And then we were like, okay, at least we can watch it on TV. Like, you know, we'll still see them in the, in the frozen four or something like that. And then yeah, they just canceled the whole thing outright, and it was heartbreaking. Like, you could totally tell, like, it really sucked for everybody involved. Yeah, and I guess we'll, we'll never know uh, if there would, would have been more. There for sure would have been one turning game added, but who knows what that team would have done. It sucks to kind of leave it on that note. But uh, UMass would soon get their chance again, 2020 to 2021 season. Uh, the whole regular season was played without fans, which was wild. And so were the Hockey East playoffs, but UMass was able to win their first ever Hockey East tournament championship uh, with a one nothing win over Lowell. Uh, we've already seen their second ever Hockey East tournament championship uh, just a couple of days ago, which is really awesome. And then uh, so UMass got that automatic qualifier. They would have qualified as is for the tournament, but they went in as a two seed and their regional was in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, we, we for sure would have been there, but they didn't allow fans at that regional. So uh, pretty tough situation, but uh, it is what it was, what it was in game one, UMass played Lake Superior state, who was the three seed. Um, I had honestly never heard of this school until we were playing them in Jesus. this game, <laughs> but Come uh, on, man, <laughs> I, I don't mean to say that disrespectful. I've just never heard of them. That's, uh, that's fair. But obviously, they deserve to be there. They were a three seed in the tournament. Um, but UMass uh, just dismantled them. The final score was 5-1. Uh, we got two goals from friend of the pot again, Jake Gaudet. Uh, Josh Lopina put one in. Anthony Delgaizo and uh, Carson Gusevich all, all scored goals in this one. And, yeah, just 
another one of those dominating from start to finish games for UMass in the regional. Yeah, definitely. I could totally remember that game being super comfortable to watch from the comfort of my house. Like it was just like, I never once really felt scared. Like, I think we took, you know, a pretty solid lead to begin with. And I was like, all right, like we're, we're good. You know what I mean? Like I was definitely still keeping a fairly close eye on the game, but I wasn't sitting there thinking like, oh my God, like anything crazy could happen at any moment. It just kind of seemed like one of those just sweep them away. You know, we're taking care of business. Everything's fine. So yeah, really solid victory for the boys there. Yeah, and honestly, the same situation in the um, regional final. UMass played Bemidji State. They were the four seed. They ended up beating the one seed, Wisconsin, in this region. Um, and UMass ended up winning four nothing. Another uh, incredibly comfortable game for uh, how important it was. Uh, the transfer Carson Gasevich actually had a hat trick in this game, which was absolutely wild. And then the uh, the fourth goal was scored by Chow, but just to have a hat trick in a national semifinal game is just unbelievable. Yeah. We didn't really mention it too much yet, but Gusevich had quite a season yeah. um, just overall in the regular season and the postseason. Like he was just, you know, big power forward type guy, but he had a really solid shot as well. Um, Kind of reminds me of Garrett Waite, mm-hmm. like kind of gives off similar vibes. Just like, you know, tends to play relatively close to the net, but just, really has an eye for goal um, regardless of how he's able to put it in. He just always seems to find a way to put the puck in there and you need those types of dudes, obviously, you know, big, big net front presence. You know, I think he was like six, three, 200 pounds, you know, big boy. So that was his job and he did it quite well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's good thing to note in these two semifinal or regional uh, semi and final games. And then the full 2019 um, national tournament run, all six of those games, the goalkeeper was Philip Lindbergh and he just did an absolutely phenomenal job in all four of the regional games um, combined. He gave up one goal. So that's ridiculous. dude. <laughs> like, so that I, just kind of tells you the level he was playing at. Yeah. Like hearing all these scores back, like it never really hit me. You know what I mean? Like I'm hearing like, okay, you know, we win games, you know, four, nothing, four, nothing, what five, one, and then another four, nothing. Yeah. Like, you're kind of sitting there thinking like, wow, we played really well. But then you start to think like, holy shit, we let him one goal that whole time. Like what? <laughs> like what's going on here? Like that's, that's really nuts when it comes to the national stage. Like we just always seem to kind of turn it up a little bit, you know, like, I don't know if it's the type of hockey that we play, like, because maybe non-hockey schools just aren't aware of how we play and they're not able to game plan properly. I have not a clue, but there's just something about those national tournament games where we just flip a switch and it's just, phaser set to go and we just go every single time it's like don brown like f that let's go like, yeah. <laughs> we're just going in every time it's it's awesome yeah if you uh are a fan of trends look out for umass to beat minnesota on friday by a score of four but yeah if, four nothing let's, let's call it now that'd be pretty cool yeah but uh i mentioned Lindbergh. he he was the goaltender for those six games and then uh uh Situation happened before the Frozen Four in Pittsburgh where um, a few UMass players were not able to travel with the team uh, because they tested positive for COVID. Uh, It was really scary at the time because already in this tournament, multiple teams have had to forfeit for um, COVID cases on their team. Very scary time. Um, Like I said, it was in Pittsburgh and UMass wasn't going to have Lindbergh. They weren't going to have Carson Gusevich, who was one of their leading goal scorers at the time. And 
Matt Murray stepped up in the biggest way possible. Um, UMass facing off in a rematch game against Minnesota Duluth uh, and Murray, who uh, had already kind of assumed the bench role for the, the playoffs at this point, stepped in, just had an absolutely phenomenal performance in the 3-2 win for UMass. Just got to give him credit where it's due. That was unbelievable. I mean, frankly, I don't think we should be surprised at all. Like, no. we, we, we knew exactly what Murray was capable of. Like, we were absolutely blessed to have two starting caliber. I wouldn't even say starting caliber. I would say elite goaltenders mm-hmm. on our team at the same time. Like, it's such a rarity, it seems like. You know what I mean? Like, if you, you know, I feel like just in general across the hockey, like the college hockey landscape, teams don't tend to rock with two goalies. It's usually you got your one guy and you're riding that dude like a pony until he collapses and just gives up on you. Like we see that across so many teams, you know, at least in hockey East for the most part. Um, I can think of only very few exceptions off the top of my head, but yeah, we, I think for, I want to say the games were probably split across that season, like 60% for, or for uh, Lindbergh and about 40% for Murray. Mm-hmm. Like basically you were just waiting until one goalie gave up three or more in a game. Yeah. And then basically Carvel was just like, all right, second, you know, next man up. Like yeah. you basically have to earn your spot in net and not let it go. And Lindbergh was just playing out of his goddamn mind. Like I would have said that Murray could probably start for 75% of all college hockey teams at that point. So for him to have, you know, the performance that he does, unbelievable, but it wasn't a shock to me whatsoever because, you know, I think, you know, most people would just know, like, he's capable of that game in and game out. He was just that dude. And, yeah, I think he had one save, I think, really close towards the end of the game. I think it was – I think the other team could have tied it up at that point, and he was just shutting the door. It might even been an OT. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just – unbelievable performance by Murray all around. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not not surprised in the slightest, but just the um, the way he did it already kind of assuming that bench role with Lindbergh and for the playoffs and being able to have that performance against the the, the big bad Minnesota Duluth team was unbelievable. Um, yeah, in this game, UMass, uh, the first team to score, power play goal from Zach Jones, uh, which is just an absolute snipe. I remember seeing that one. Uh, Minnesota Duluth scored one in the first and one in the second to, to take the lead back. And then in the third, uh, about halfway through the period, Anthony Delgaizo tucked in a, a puck that was kind of bouncing around the crease to tie it up. Um, and then this game got really, really stressful, went to OT and, uh, this overtime period, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team dominate an overtime period as much as UMass did this one. It just seemed like mm-hmm. a matter of time. Uh, before they were going to score and then 14 and a half minutes in you see Bobby skate behind the net come up what looks like for a wraparound but pass it to Garrett Waite and uh, that sent UMass to the national championship yeah it, he was wide open yeah. like if, if he missed that we'd be having a very different podcast right now <laughs> like that you know it was just such a play like such an amazing play by everybody involved like you know, it, it still takes a whole lot of skill to be able to get into that, you know, scoring opportunity, like, you know, in the, in the terms of Garrett Waite, like he had really solid positioning there. Like his body position was good to square up to the puck nicely and tap it home. Like just, you know, we were just absolutely dominating that game just in all facets, like shots for days, hemming them in their zone. Like, I think the thing that people don't really talk about for, for that goal 
was just Bobby's hustle. Like he, I think was out there on the ice for a solid 45 seconds to a minute at that point. Mm -hmm. And he still had juice in the tank. Like to have that sort of stamina is just unreal. And I know Carvel said it, you know, a lot of times in post-game interviews, like man doesn't even sweat. Like he's just a freak of nature. It's just, it's unbelievable. But, um, yeah, just the pure hustle and speed by Trevino to set it all up was just amazing. And since us to the national championship game, like what else can you ask for? Yeah, UMass in their uh, second straight Frozen Four, make it to their second straight national championship. Um, the off day in uh, Pittsburgh didn't get to do the same, same kind of cool um, meeting the team, that kind of thing that you were able to do in Buffalo because of COVID. Um, Pittsburgh was was pretty awesome nonetheless we had great weather there uh i was i was there unfortunately evan wasn't able to make it which was definitely tough but um yeah the what like i said the weather was good got to explore the area go to a pirates game that kind of thing so uh definitely a cool cool place for the frozen four to be would love for it to be there again uh someday in the future but yeah umass uh the next day moving on to the national championship they were playing saint cloud state who uh Personally, Evan and I have Evan and I have always joked about being like the scariest team in uh, college hockey. I think they were number one when UMass first started to crack the national rankings, and uh, definitely a, a scary matchup coming in. But the um, in this game didn't end up being scary at all. Um, Aaron Bollinger heard that name before. Clutch Gene. Uh, Clutch Gene scored in the first period on a on a two on zero breakaway. Reed Lepster also scored in the first, uh, lagging off with the, um, the goal of all goals, the dangle. You've, you've definitely seen that one before yep. in the second. Uh, that, that was shorthanded. People forget that. And then uh, Matt Kessel clapped a bomb in the second, made it 4 nothing. Um, at that point, it was just everybody knew. Walking around the concourse at that point, people were like ready to, ready to go. Uh, Bobby put one in the third to make it 5 nothing. And that is what the final score was. UMass won their first ever national championship. I wish we were doing the pod back then because that would have been uh, an unbelievable episode. But uh, yeah, first ever national championship. And uh, that's what UMass is looking to defend this year. Yeah. And I think we have a really solid shot at it. You know, like just bringing back a lot of similar pieces from last year. I mean, obviously not identical. You know, you're never going to get bring back an identical team. But, um, yeah, I think we have a lot of the, you know, we have a lot of strengths on this team that were very similar to last year. Like, I think Bobby's only gotten better. Like, there's, there's you know, that's pretty obvious. Like, I don't really think anybody's denying that. But, again, it's just another case of, you know, having a lot more experience from a lot of really, really big contributors. Like, I think, you know, Lapina's one year older. Lebster's one year older. Like, a lot of these guys that, had a lot of clutch moments last year are only getting better. Mm -hmm. And I think we filled in a lot of, I'm not going to say holes, but like gaps that were left behind from people leaving last year. We've had a lot of really solid freshmen step up and fill in those roles as well. Like I think Ufko and Morrow are going to have a really big role to play and they've already done it so many times this season. Um, we just have so much talent on this team and obviously we're extremely well coached. It's just going to be a matter of being fast, hard prepared. Like as Carvel always says, like that's the number one thing 
that is going to bring us to a championship. And I think that we've seen a lot of that with the start of these recent playoffs in hockey East, like we're selling out so much more for our goaltenders, like Mm. just so many block shots, like so much more just overall effort in the defensive zone. Like, you know, we really haven't seen many defensive breakdowns in recent, you know, past couple weeks or so. Like we've just really started to kick it into that second year. And that's exactly what you need this time of the year. So I think all the stars are starting to kind of align. I think we're just really playing to our potential and it's going to be a scary game for Minnesota, in my opinion, come (laughs) Friday. Like, I think they might be in for a pretty rude awakening. Like a lot of experts out there, you know, people making college hockey brackets that aren't even affiliated with UMass. They're putting us through to the frozen four. And I think for good reason, like, Mm -hmm we are a very slept on team at this point. Like we're still the defending champions. Like not a lot's changed. You know what I mean? Like rankings and pair wise and all these fancy analytics aside, we're still a damn good hockey team. So I'm very interested to see how, what this weekend brings. I'm really excited. I just, if we do what we got to do, you know, we're going to be in really, really good shape. You get what you deserve. A hundred percent. I, for one, am very excited to see Murray on the national stage. We saw it one time in that uh, overtime game against Minnesota Duluth, but it was Lindbergh uh, for the other seven games. Lindbergh only gave up seven goals in seven national tournament games, which is nuts. But uh, definitely glad to see Murray get the get the full run through the playoffs. I think that'll be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think he's totally ready at this point. Like, just he's done so well so far in the hockey's playoffs and I think it's only going to get better like he kind of seems like the type of player when the stakes get higher he just seems that much more locked in so I think he might be able to steal one or two games for us single-handedly like he's already done that at numerous points this season so he definitely has it in his locker he just needs to pull it out at the right time yeah and uh yeah so that's pretty much our our recap of UMass's national tournament history Overall, they're eight and two as a program in the national tournament with one national championship, which is uh, just phenomenal. Let's let's hope this weekend we make it ten and two. Definitely interested in doing that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's everything we got for you guys. Really excited for for Friday up in Worcester. That's going to be an awesome game. And don't sleep on UMass, even though they're a three seed defending national champions. Uh, like the broadcaster said on Nesson in the hockey East final, this team's got a championship pedigree. So uh, definitely have lofty expectations going into the national tournament this year. Just like Bouchergras said in 2019, watch out. Watch out. Indeed. We will leave you on that. Thank you everybody for listening. Go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody.